Welcome to a special edition SMDC History Moment. I'm Steve Sagan. It's been 20 years since the 9-11 terror attacks, and on this episode, we are going to hear from two members of the SMDC team who experienced it firsthand. Kaminsky, Chopper 880. All right, uh, Pat, we are just currently getting a look at the World Trade Center. We have something that has happened here at the, the World Trade Center. The terror attacks on September 11th were one of the defining moments of the early 21st century. It's been 20 years since this tragic event, but to many Americans, the experiences and memories may feel like yesterday. We spoke with Tom Weber, director of the Technical Center, and William Kip Atley, with the Command Special Access Program Control Office, who experienced the attacks on the Pentagon firsthand. Tom Weber was in Washington on September 11th to provide a briefing on THAAD and was ready to head back to Kwajalein on that fateful day. And so we were actually in Washington, D.C., briefing the THAAD study on, on where THAAD was going to be deployed um, for its testing purposes. Um, so there was a team of folks from Huntsville and then uh, a couple of us from Kwajalein that were in D.C. Uh, we had just presented uh, our case and uh, following that I was actually getting ready to return uh, back to Kwajalein and was sitting in the lobby of the hotel uh, near the Pentagon at the uh, Embassy Suites, if those that are uh, familiar with the D.C. area. As he was getting ready to head to the airport, news of a plane hitting the World Trade Center was announced. We had seen a fireball, and I can tell you it appears as though something has gone into the World Trade Center. Uh, sitting there at breakfast, uh, getting ready to go to the airport, saw the, the news came on and the first tower was burning, and they were talking about an airplane hitting it. And I was talking to some folks and saying, this doesn't seem possible that an airplane could hit the World Trade Center. Uh, there might be more to this. A few moments later, Tom knew there was a lot more to this attack. Down the street and across from the Pentagon, Kip was at work on a normal Tuesday. Um, yes, in 9-11, I was a contractor supporting the Missile Defense Agency. It was actually Ballistic Missile Defense Organization at the time. And we were in building, uh, or sorry, Wing 8 of Federal Office Building 2 right across from the Pentagon. Uh, my office faced the Pentagon, and our, we are under the trajectory of uh, American Flight 77 that impacted the, the Pentagon. Kiff was working from his office when he heard the news the towers had been hit. Like many of us, he and his co-workers thought it was a terrible accident. But after the second plane struck, like Tom, they knew it was more. Right here. Right, that was a second plane that just blew? Number one. It's been another one, Carl. Yes, he hit in building number one. The other building. Yes, he flew right into it. So uh, building number two is now burning. Uh, the alarm started going off in the hotel because we got word that there was one potentially coming to uh, the, the Capitol. And of course, we know that's the one that uh, uh, the, the, the brave uh, people on that plane uh, did everything they could to stop it. Um, but we were evacuated from the hotel in the event that we were uh, in the path and, and could potentially uh, impact the hotel. So we all ran outside and we were outside for, for quite some time while we were waiting for clearance that things would go. In the meantime, you could continue to see the, the smoke billowing up from the Pentagon just down the street. In an instant, things were about to get worse. Uh, hearing emergency vehicles everywhere, I can still hear the sound. There was just so many emergency vehicles. Uh, just going everywhere, uh, and then all of a sudden, the traffic in the streets, everything just emptied. <laughs> uh, 
It was just, it was nothing. And we're sitting out. Um, it was hot. The hotel was good. They started bringing bottled water and things out to, uh, to take care of us. And my first thought is, you know, how, since we're, we're not getting media or news now because we're outside, how much is going on? What else is going on? How big has this really been? Because this is clearly a deliberate act, uh, and, and they're using airplanes uh, as, as the weapon. As Tom watched the smoke billowing from the Pentagon, his family was busy trying to find out if he was okay. My executive assistant, my admin out on Kwajalein, had called my wife. And of course, it was two in the morning or so at Kwajalein. Um, and the phone rang, and there's a distinct ring if it was an on-island call or an off-island call. And in the middle of the night when you got the off-island double ring, you always worried about something being wrong. It was an on-island call. She woke up, she answered it, and, and she, the, my, my admin told her, said, uh, are you watching TV? And she said, no, I'm, I'm sleeping. Why? He says, well, how you doing? Everything all right? She said, yeah. She said, well, turn on your TV and just kind of built her up to turn on the TV. And so she started watching it. Um, she got my son up, who was who was just a you know child at the time, and they were watching it. And she knew that I was in D.C. She knew she didn't know if, what plane I was on, where the planes came from at that point. Um, and then the double island ring came. And it was uh, my dad. Debbie, are you okay? Where's Tom? And she said, he's in D.C. And, and I still get choked up about this because I've since lost my dad. But, but my wife said, when I said he's in D.C., that is the first and only time I ever saw your dad cry. Back at the Pentagon, Kip watched the evacuation and sprung into action to help people get away. I went down to the area. Police, uh, the DC police, our Arlington police had not been able to respond effectively yet. So we're helping get everybody away from the Pentagon to, to get, get a clear area. Uh, we saw many of the uh, active army who are coming out of the Pentagon return to go back in to pull people out of the Pentagon. Once the uh, police were able to respond in force and establish or take over cordon duties for us, from us, we then grouped together near one of their command posts to see what else we could do. Kip and his co-workers continued to help. There was a lot of uh, people who were hurt and stuff, and we were asked to go see if we could find anything that could help us medical supplies. A few of us who had pickup trucks, we actually went over to the Harris Teeters over at Crystal uh, City near the mall. Um, where the manager there uh, opened his doors, had, a, had a, one of his workers there with a forklift and uh, brought out pallets of water and anything that could be used as medical supplies started filling our pickup trucks, uh, to which point we uh, transported those over to um, Highway 27, which is uh, the road that goes between the Pentagon and uh, Arlington Cemetery. And they started establishing uh, an ad hoc triage area in the median space between the Jersey barriers in the middle of the highway. Once we dropped off those supplies, medical personnel who were there were uh, those people who did not require major uh, medical help were there. They put them in our trucks to drive them away uh, to where they can uh, meet up with somebody to ride them home, give them a ride home or, or and such. Kip does not remember how long that day was, but it was dark when he finally headed home. It was dark when I finally start, started to go home. 
to this day, it's still a very surreal event for me. As Kip was helping on the ground, Tom made contact with his family and started to develop a plan to get home. As flights were grounded and security tightened, it took Tom days to find an open airport and a flight. I saw on TV the first Delta plane taking back off um, in the country, flew out of Baltimore and uh, at BWI. I thought, wow, that's close. I called the airline, can I get fly out of Baltimore? I'm, I'm trying to get to, to Hawaii, obviously. Um, and they said, yeah, we can get you out tomorrow, uh, Friday. And uh, so I uh, got down to, to Baltimore and got on the airplane. The, I still see the site um, because there was just lines of people just snaked back and forth across the entire terminal. I'm thinking there's no way we're getting through all this in, in any amount of time. After a two and a half hour wait, Tom was able to make it to the plane. Finally got on an airplane. We waited for several hours. There was literally about eight of us on the entire airplane that had actually made it through security and got it, gotten into the airplane. Although he made it, a new challenge awaited him shortly after takeoff. We started up the engines. It was a Boeing 767, and we start taxiing, and I kept telling us something doesn't sound right. So what are you talking about? I said, There's, something's not right with this engine. And he said, he said, huh. He said, well, they would not let us go. I said, I'm telling you, we took off from Atlanta, and as soon as we got in the air, we took a hard turn toward Atlanta. And the screams of people because they absolutely thought this was it. The pilot immediately came on and said, folks, my apologies. We have an engine alert. We got to get back to the airport. And so we're, we're, we're heading back. <laughs> we landed, came back up to the gate. The mechanic came out, looked up at the engine and at the, uh, at the turbo fan in the engine look back over to the pilot because I'm watching it out the window and he just gives him the thumb down sign like you're not going anywhere turns out we had bent turbine blades and that's what I heard and why something wasn't right but fortunately there was another plane and Tom made it to LA and then to Hawaii it took a full week Tuesday to Tuesday to get home despite 20 years Tom can still feel that day and I'll tell you, I've been back to that uh, embassy suites many times, and and I can I close my eyes and I can I, I see myself pulling that curtain back and seeing the black billowing smoke. I can I can still do that to this day, um, and I can still, if I think about it and close my eyes and and, and breathe in, I can still smell jet fuel, um, you know, from. Uh, Colonel Brown's belongings, and, and that just sets at home. Uh, and the thing that, that really gets to me emotionally um, that I vividly remember is, is just knowing the impact it had on my, my wife and my son, not knowing if I was okay, and, and then for my wife to tell me uh, that my, my dad broke down on the phone. Um, because he had gotten it out of office from me, um, knowing that I was somewhere and that DC was a place I went a lot. Back in Washington, Kip was feeling the effects of the attack and as a result was called back to active duty. I was 
quickly, I mean, uh, very shortly, I received a call to return to active duty. Uh, I was with the Air Guard at that time, and uh, it, were, it, it didn't take long for that to happen. Um, I think the biggest impact on me was I was then deployed at first to uh, Norfolk, Virginia, to assist with at Langley Air Force Base. Afterwards, Kip recalled feeling anger at the attacks and frustration with those that wanted to get back to normal. To him, the new normal was the experience of the attack and something not easily forgotten. My experience uh, drove me to being uh, kind of angry about that. Um, that people would want to try to put that in the back of their mind and not not uh, keep that as a priority or as something in the forefront of their, their lives. And part of that being they, they didn't witness it firsthand. And so the natural psychological effect for them is to return to status quo, whereas those of us who are there, uh, it, it, it's a... It's not easy to forget. Kip recalls the day and takes satisfaction in being able to contribute and help his fellow soldiers and civilians. I feel satisfied that I did what I could. Um, yeah, I, I, I did what I believed was my job. It was uh, my, my first responder training, um, my military training uh i'm i'm satisfied that it it took over it kicked in and that in some way i was able to contribute tom is not the same either he has a new vigilance and awareness that was not there before yeah you know uh, being a career government employee you know opsec and being sensitive to your surroundings has always been something that that, that i have it resonated with, but what that did was was clearly show, you know, we are not as safe as maybe we thought we were, right? We are vulnerable, and so it puts that much more emphasis on on being smart. Uh, I probably talked less to people after that on airplanes if 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 I thought somebody was looking for information I didn't think they needed to have. Um, I, I I stopped. I stopped working uh, on airplanes because I didn't want to pull out a computer and, and have a CAT card or a government ID or, or other form um, uh, just to, to make myself identifiable. And so I, I definitely changed uh, a lot of my, my actions because of that. I instilled upon my son um, the importance of paying attention to your surroundings and, and don't take for granted that everything um, that, that we do and how we do it is going to be safe. We all have a 9-11 story. My story is family affected. My brother is a captain at American Airlines based in New York at the time and saw the first plane hit the tower while in final approach. His words to me were, I thought they were filming a movie. Another brother, a New Jersey EMT and firefighter, was at ground zero doing what he could do to help. 16 months after 9-11, I found myself mobilized in fighting the new global war on terror. The 9-11 attacks ushered in a new kind of warfare and a new way to fight it. On this 20th anniversary, take the time to remember all those whose lives were taken in the terror attack and in the fight to defeat it. 
America will also stand tall and Americans will always rise up to defeat those who wish to harm us and our way of life. This has been an SMDC History Moment. Thanks for listening.